Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is episode 14 of season 6, my US road trip part 2. In this season I kick things off with two weeks in New Orleans. There I head to a couple of competitions and spend some time hanging out with the who's who of Southern Barbecue. From there it's up to Kansas City for four days of Barbecue Nirvana at the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's Annual Conference and Excellence Awards. The final two weeks of the journey see us head into Arkansas for some R&R, including bass fishing, monster trucks, a state cook-off association competition, an AK-47, and a brush with a tornado. And of course, you're coming with me. Kathy Pullen is a dynamo in the world of barbecue. She's the owner and founder of renowned barbecue catering setup, Pullen's Premium Barbecue. She's also got a regular TV spot as Grillin' with Kathy. And she's a successful brand ambassador for not one, not two, not even three, but four separate brands. All this in addition to her work raising awareness for domestic violence issues, of which she herself is a survivor. With summer coming up, it's time for a new favorite barbecue t-shirt, and I've got just the thing for you. Drawing inspiration from the iconic barbecue pop culture art by Gil Elvgren, the Hail Mary tee is black like all good barbecue shirts should be, comes in both men's and women's cuts in a variety of sizes, and of course, features Mary. She likes her barbecue smoky, spicy, and just a little bit naughty. Check her out now at smokinghotconfessions.com shop. I'd also like to invite you to join us at the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook. If you're looking for a barbecue group full of open-minded people who just love to help each other out, the Smoking Hot Confessions community is a great place to continue the conversation. Finally, however you listen to this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. It really helps me spread that barbecue love. So without further ado, grab yourself a slab of unsourced pork ribs and something sudsy, and join me as I learn about the world of barbecue brand ambassadorship. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Family owned and operated since 2016, Harvey's Kitchen and Barbecue pride themselves on crafting handmade, high quality, flavor packed barbecue rubs and dusts for people who love to roast, grill, and barbecue. Their high-quality ingredients create outstanding products that help everyone create delicious meals, whether they're a barbecue guru or just stepping into the pityard for the first time. Particularly exciting is their recently released Signature Dusts. These Signature Dusts are flavor-packed and ready to add a real punch to your barbecue. Their application is wide, having been designed for low and slow, hot and fast, and food trucks. Just cook your meats, shake on the signature dust, and let it combine with the natural meat juices to create some incredible flavor combinations. To check out the full range of rubs, flavored salts, and of course, the signature dusts, and so much more, head on over to harveyskitchen.com.au. That's harveyskitchen.com.au. Kathy, thanks so much for taking the time out to talk Q with me, and welcome to The Confessional. Thank you so much for having me on, Ben. 
any time. It was great to meet you in person in, in Kansas City. I'd been following uh, Pullen's Premium Barbecue for a while, and I couldn't believe that you were the very first person I met when I walked in the door. That was quite a surprise. You walk off that elevator, came over and gave me a great big old hug. That was awful nice to meet you in person like that. Yeah. All right. So let's kick things off. So what was the last thing that you barbecued for yourself? Um, over the 4th of July weekend, we did some uh, wings and some good old beef ribs. Oh, of course. Yeah. 4th of July. I was in... Uh, yes, sir. I was in America for uh, the 4th of July in oh, a long time ago now, 2006, I think. And it was awesome. Oh, yeah. We, we do 4th of July upright around here. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It was uh, it was just incredible. We were up in Oregon and uh, just like, well, first of all, all the fireworks. We don't uh, we don't have access to fireworks here in Australia. So seeing little kids running around shooting Roman candles at the beach was uh, was pretty interesting for me. I bet it was. <laughs> so uh, tell me what what barbecue do you use at home right now? Uh, currently, uh, here at home, I use a pit barrel cooker or the Weber grill. Oh, okay. And why do you like the, uh, the the drums and the kettle? I have been in love with Weber's. Uh, actually, that was what I got my start on with the Weber kettle. I still own that kettle today. Um, and then the drum, I was introduced to the drum by Guadalupe Barbecue Company and Joey Machado. And I absolutely fell in love with the versatility of it and the ease of using it. You know, it just, it was perfect sense. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that. So is the, is the pit barrel cooker one of the ones that you buy in a kit and build yourself with your own drum or is that um, one that comes prefabbed? It comes prefabbed to you. It'll come with everything inside of it, the stand, the rods, the lid and everything. And all you have to do is attach the handle. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Now that's the one that um, it has the rods across the top, right? And it's all about hanging? Right. Yeah, it's the hook and hang method. It's, you know, pretty versatile. I can hook and hang meat and also lay meat flat at the same time, so I can do whatever I need to do. Um, and, you know, I pretty much, the ribs uh, the other day, they were on for a seven-hour cook because they were very thick beef ribs. And, you know, I stoked that fire one time when I lit it and let her go, went to the beach, had a good time, came back six hours later, checked them, pulled them off the grill and they were fabulous. Oh, that sounds so good. With the ribs though, you'd still need to keep the, um, keep the grill down underneath just in case the ribs like fell it. Like I'd imagine at some point that the uh, hooks would pull out, wouldn't they? Well, if you don't take your uh, membrane off the back and it will keep your ribs together. Ah, and on beef ribs, you really don't want to take the membrane off because sometimes there's not enough meat on a beef rib and a beef rib will disintegrate without that membrane. That membrane is what holds it together. Where a pork rib is designed a little differently. You remove that membrane and uh, I will hang a pork rib for about half of the time and then I'll take it off the hook and I'll finish it in the foil and sauce. So what's the big difference there then? Is it because it's hanging vertically, it gets more of the smoke on the on the meaty side than if it was laying on its like bone side down? It acts more like a rotisserie, um, the way it's designed with the hook and hang method because it hangs more in the center of the barrel. So the, the smoke just circulates the meat versus just going straight up. This oh. way it kind of encompasses the whole piece of meat versus 
coming up to the bottom and then going up around the meat. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay, so you've got a lot of irons in the fire right now, but let's go back to the start. So you're originally from Kansas City, the spiritual home of barbecue. Were you born into barbecue or was it something you got into later? No, I was not born into my barbecue. My father would grill. He could grill up of some mean chicken and hamburgers and hot dogs, but that was really the extent of his grilling. Um, and when I married my one of my husbands, my last husband, Richard, he was invited to the American Royal through his brother. And so we went on his team, and I fell in love at that time with the art of the imperfection of barbecue. I'm an artist by nature, and so I like things that are done the old-fashioned way. And this, and it just, to me, made sense with the flavors and the smoke and the aroma and the camaraderie and the family. I just fell in love with it. It was just something I fell in love with it, and that's pretty much the whole story on how I got involved with barbecue. Yeah, we're seeing a bit of a um, a bit of a resurgence of the of the artisan uh, sort of niche here in Australia. All the all the custom handmade sort of small small output um, type setups. Do you think that there's a connection between that and the rise of barbecue? I think so. Um, you know, barbecue. I, I know over in Australia is like blowing up. You guys are like eating it up, which is fabulous. And I'm sure you guys have always had your own techniques and your own way of cooking, just like folks that I talked to over in uh, Nigeria and stuff. Every region of the world has its own unique way of cooking outdoors. Like you have the bush style of cooking. And then all of a sudden here you guys are brought and educated into, you know, what we would say the American barbecue with the, the offset, you know, Weber grill, charcoal smoke and things like that. So I'm sure it's just been the difference of the different trends in the different countries creating all the buzz around barbecue. TV helps too, so does social media. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The the amount of uh, information we have access to now that we just didn't have 10, 15, 20 years ago is just astounding. Yeah, it is. Google, Siri, I need a question. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I rely on Siri probably a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one that tends to try to shy from technology. You know, I, I'm, I don't go to Google and Siri as much as most people just because I'm a little old fashioned. I think that's why I still like doing the old fashioned way of barbecuing. I prefer the low and slow and charcoal. Yeah. So do you use um, like wireless thermometers and things when you're cooking? No, I never honestly have. My daughter gave me a thermopin for Mother's Day about three years ago, and I'll use it for like a steak if I'm com- competing with steak. But for the most part, I still go by touch. I mean, I can tell, you know, by the way my meat looks on the temperature it is. And uh, I'm just so old school in that manner. I know how many hours I can go before I have to stoke my pit. So it's just instilled in my brain. I don't need a little alarm going off saying, hey, Time to go stoke the pit. Oh wow, that's heaps good. So um, you've uh, you were saying before that you started at the Royal in around ninety four, ninety five. How have you seen the Royal change and grow over the years? The last time I actually was at the Royal was in 04 and because I, I moved to Texas in two thousand and two, 
Um, I went back in 02, 03, and 04 just as a guest with my sister's team and her husband. Um, but I know that it has exploded to where they could no longer hold it downtown at the Kemper Arena and had to move it to the Speedway. And I am looking forward to going this year. It's my plan to go out there and support some of the little kick to, uh kids that I've been working with that are going this year. Oh, that'll be cool. You'll have to make sure that you uh, make your way around to the internationals and go say hello to all the Aussie teams that are going to be there too. Oh, I will. Trust me, if I make it back there, there'll be lots of people I'll be going to say hi to. Yeah. Yeah, we've got, um, <laughs> we've got, I think, three or four teams going over this year. It's going to be quite interesting. Cool. I look forward to it. Yeah. Well, the uh, the Mafia fellas, the, the Barbecue Mafia went over last year. And they got uh, two call-ups. I want to say it was fifth for brisket in the international subdivision and seventh for brisket overall. So they did really, really well. That's good. I really like how the international teams have, are, you know, bringing, coming over and how our some of our teams are going over. You know, Mo Kason, Tyler Cannon, a lot of these guys have been going over there and really investing time in Australia and you guys are reciprocating by coming back over here. I think the first time I met Ben, uh, not you, Ben, but, uh, smokehouse, uh, I, I did the, uh, culinary site with him when up there in Kansas city. First time I met Ben at Gryphon smokehouse was in Fort Worth. And he introduced me to the way uh, you all make a rotisserie with a, Whatever you got available. I think he was using a, oh, shoot. I'm drawing a blank now. I got it. He was just using a piece of machinery. I mean, just like a regular farm implement and cooking up some lamb over it. It was pretty wild. He wasn't using no grill. Yeah, we do come up with some pretty uh, pretty inventive ways of doing things. We've got a... Uh, there's an expat living uh, over in America now, uh, Saffron. She's the the head of the MBBQA yeah. at the moment, and she does all sorts of wild yeah. stuff. She'll light a big uh, light a big fire on the ground and then put a wheelbarrow over the uh, uh, over the top and cook in a wheelbarrow, or she'll grab an old shovel and cook on a shovel. Yeah, it was the wheelbarrow that she was using, and then using a drill, uh, a long piece of rebar for the rotisserie, and yeah. then the drill attached to turn it. That's what exactly what it was. Oh, my mind was blank on the wheelbarrow. I'm sitting there envisioning it, and I'm drawing it with my hand. <laughs> but you can't see my hand. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, Saffron's crazy. At MBBQA a few years ago, she goes, okay, Kathy, let's play with some Legos. And she brought out a bunch of cinder blocks. Next thing I know, I'm building a pit, and I'm turning out lamb for <laughs> So you took that, that, that Carolina-style cinder block pit and, and did a whole lamb instead of a whole pig. Yeah, we did a whole lamb. Uh-huh. And a lot of people walking by going, is that a greyhound dog? And I'm like, no, it goes bad. <laughs> this goes bad. Not, <laughs> not everybody got a kick out of that. But it was it was uh, fun. One arm got uh, what you might say flash burn from the coal and the heat reflecting off of the tin foil that we had on the ground. <laughs> but it was a fun deal. It was a lot of fun. I've cooked with saffron twice now, and I've enjoyed each time. Actually, three times. Kansas City was the third. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, she's she's definitely great value. All right, so we we jump forward then to 2011, and you open uh, Pullen Premium Barbecue. Describe that feeling as you took the that that huge step. 
Well, you know, Poland Premium Barbecue is actually, um, I had been cooking and barbecuing for quite a while. And how the name and the formation of the catering came about was um, the radio station I cook for and work with, KJ97. I had been doing their barbecue cook-offs for many years. And then Low Cash Cowboys was sitting down and eating lunch with us one day and said, hey, what do you think? You think you could turn this into an actual business and build a rig and possibly go on the road with us? And that's kind of what my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, yeah, I think we can do something. So we built the rig. Of course, we never heard back from low cash cowboys. Never thought we would. That's okay. Um, (laughs) But they were the inspiration behind us building the pit. And the name of the barbecue company was actually the radio station there came up with the name of it. My last name is Pullen. I used to sell health insurance at that time. So premium was for, to represent health insurance. And then of course, barbecue. So it was really kind of like osmosis that the company was formed because I just used the barbecue as, you know, competitions and promoting health insurance. And one thing led to another. And then by all of a sudden, you know, the barbecue took center stage and the insurance took backstage. Oh, wow. So do you still sell insurance or is that, is that finished now? No, <laughs> that's a big no. <laughs> no, I got out of insurance in 2014 is when I decided I had no more desire to sell insurance. Wow. So that must've been a good feeling being able to pack that away and then just live barbecue. Yeah, it was. You know, my husband is very good about letting me go after my dreams and my goals. Um, And, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I think this barbecue might turn into something. It just seems like I've got a lot of momentum behind it. And I just want to see where it takes me. He goes, do what you want. So I let the insurance go and he's worked full time to allow me to pursue what I want to pursue. Oh, wow. That's some great support there. Yes, sir. He's an awesome individual. He supports me thoroughly. Ah, I love that. So tell us about Premium Barbecue. What is it that you do there? Well, basically, we're just a catering service. Um, I am not open for, you know, I'm not a restaurant. I would not enjoy it if I was. Um, I like doing my catering. I pick and choose kind of my work. Um, I do mostly high-end jobs. Very few jobs are you know, under 150 people, the most I've catered for has been 500. So I, you know, work a couple times a year and that's pretty much all I do as far as catering goes. And then the rest of the barbecue business has been the rubs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get to the rubs in, in just a second. I've got a couple of questions yeah. for you about that as well. But one thing I did notice when I was looking at your website is that you absolutely uh, is that you advertise that you specialize in sourceless barbecue. Why did you go that way? Well, because I'm not a fan of saucing your meat. I know for competition, you know, if I'm competing for ribs and chicken, yes, I will sauce my meat because that is what is expected. But if I am catering or cooking for myself, I prefer to taste the meat and the flavor that I have injected and the love that I've put into the meat without putting some kind of commercialized sauce on top of it. I've never been a fan of condiments growing up on my hamburgers or hot dogs. You know, I'm not a mayo or ketchup or mustard fan. So it just made sense for me to go that route also in barbecue. And people will ask me when I'm catering, do you have sauce? Yes, I will bring sauce. 
but I would like for you to taste my meat before you sauce it. And nine times out of 10, I go home with 90% of the sauce. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good indication of just how good your barbecue is. Well, you know, sauces, an old cliche is sauce is used to cover up bad meat. But then again, you know, good barbecue is to take a shitty piece of meat and make it good, juicy, and tender. So it's kind of a double-edged sword on how that quote is said or who says that quote. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. My dad used to get really upset and take it really personally. He'd um, he'd cook up a big roast leg of lamb for us for dinner and then my sister would grab this beautiful piece of roast lamb and then just smother it in barbecue sauce. He used to go wild. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> Especially with all the love he probably put into it. Oh, yeah. Yep. So in 2011, you opened your own business and then just four years later, 2015... You're in Barbecue Hall of Famer Guy Fieri's TV show, Guy's Grocery Games. So i got two questions about this. The first one is, how did you get from ground zero to national television in just four years? And, of course, what was it like working with Guy Fieri? Well, let's answer the last first. Guy Fieri is awesome. He was phenomenal. It was a blast. It was uh, right after his birthday, so he was in a real jovial and fun mood. Um, to, and how I got chosen for that kind of goes along with the local grilling with Kathy that I do, which we'll be talking about, I think in a little bit, but I had been doing grilling with Kathy since 2013, a girlfriend of mine here in San Antonio, who is a food critic or used to be for USA today had connections with the food network. She saw the application for looking for unique pit masters to do a unique grocery games. And so she filled out the application as it was me. They contacted her and said, Hey, you're not her. We need her to apply. We <laughs> want her. And so she emails me and says, Hey, you're going to be getting an email from somebody and you need to fill it out. Oh, you're right. Whatever. You guys are, you're, you're pranking me. Cause you know, I was involved with a group of chefs and she was part of them and they like to prank one another. And so I, you know, I get the email and I'm looking at, it and, you know, it's a casting company. Okay. Well, let's see what happens. So I fill out the application 10 seconds later, my phone's ringing with a California phone number. I'm like, Holy cow. She wasn't joking. So uh, that's kind of how that happened. Somebody applied for me originally. They liked how the application was sent in with her. They asked me to resend an application in. They fell more in love, and there we are. That's so cool. I can't believe that she like pretended to be you and filled in all the paperwork. Yeah, she kind of got all the way through it until it came back to the phone call and then the phone number, you know, the names. Oh, no, I'm just somebody who, you know. And they're like, no, she has to apply. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, it was a, I never thought as, you know, a young girl growing up in Kansas City that I would ever go into barbecues, that I would ever make national TV, let alone be on local TV. You know, these things are just something that they were never on my radar it just happened and I've been very blessed and fortunate by it and it was able to put me on a national stage and put not only my cooking skills and uh, grilling skills on the stage but also the survivorship of domestic violence it just 
shed a whole light on why I do what I do. Yeah, now you do do a lot of work with uh, with domestic violence survivors as well, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, I do. I mean, when I was going through it, there was not any, there wasn't a place for us to go. You know, I took my girls one night to a homeless shelter and it was safer for me to either sleep in the car with them or to take them back to the abuse than to sleep in a homeless shelter. Oh, Jesus. So a lot has, ha- you know, progressed since the, 80s, but still there's a lot more that needs to be done. And the only way that things will be done is if people share their stories. You know, the more you share, the more you hear. It's just like back in the 60s when breast cancer was, you know, and no, no, nobody wants to talk about breast cancer because you're going to lose your, you know, your womanhood, you're going to lose your hair, you're going to lose this. Well, nobody wants to talk about domestic violence. And so I felt it was important for me to share my story so that people would say, hey, there's somebody just like me on national TV who's gone through stuff like just like me. Maybe my life can change. Maybe I can get out of this. And so that's why I do what I do. I think that's fantastic that you're putting that message out there. There's there's a lot that needs to be done here in Australia with that as well. There's the, the statistics of uh, uh, not to get too dark on a, on a, on a, barbecue podcast but um of the of the number of women who are killed each week by partners is phenomenal yeah it, it, it is and like you said no need to get dark on a subject like this but it that is why i do what i do because i am live working in a male-dominated industry to prove that not all men are bad yeah, so let's sort of uh, swing it back towards barbecue. There, you, um, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, you, you seem to have regular t- uh, TV spots with, uh, oh, sorry, as grilling with Kathy. Now, you you mentioned that before. Uh-huh. Tell us how that came about. That was also thanks and help to my radio buddies. I would go to watch San Antonio Living every Monday to support Jamie Martin, one of the jocks on the radio station. And one day she knew I was cooking a bunch of pork butts for a cancer survivor dinner here in Guadalupe County. She said, hey, Kathy, throw a couple extra pork butts on there. And I assumed they were going to be for her and her husband because they love my food. Ah, sure, no problem. And she goes, just bring them to the station and I'll get them from you there. Okay, no problem. I show up to the station with a little Playmate cooler with two hot pork butts in it. I'd been up all night cooking. I look like... Heck in a handbasket. <laughs> I had a hat on. I was not ready for awards, and meaning I hadn't gotten cleaned up or put on my makeup from cooking all night. And she goes, hey, Shelly, I got a surprise for you. You know, Kathy comes in the audience to support me. Hey, Kathy, come on down here. Asked me to come down, and um, not only did I give Shelly the pork butts on air, but I got to pull a bone on air for the first time. And that's kind of how Barb. Shelly fell in love with my food and barbecue and the station, and I've been invited back for, well, it's been six years now, almost seven. Wow. So they, like, once again, you just sort of got got put on the spot and then capitalized on the opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right place, right time, good friends, and being blessed. Yeah, so good. And then you're able to leverage that up into uh, into the Guy Fieri spot. That's so cool. Yes, sir. Now we did start talking about the uh, the the rubs before. You've got a line of rubs in H E B grocery stores. So first of all, congrats because I know H E B is huge in the in the states over there. Tell us about that journey. Yep. 
Um, that's been a rocky journey for about three years. I had actually about given up on the journey. And then a friend of mine um, came up to me and said, hey, I hear a lot about your rub and I want to taste it. And so I let him taste it. And he goes, how would uh, you like if I helped you get this into H-E-B? And once again, here I'm thinking, yeah, right, whatever. I've been trying to get this into local markets and gone through three or different packers and things have just gone right from wrong. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, kind of in disbelief as to what's going to happen. He goes, no, seriously. And then in October, I get a phone call. He goes, hey, I need you to be in San Antonio in 45 minutes to meet my son and the eight decision makers at H-E-B. Uh, can you be there? And boy, I jumped in the car and ran. I'll bet. And there I was. <laughs> and it was in October. So my, and this is a really funny story too. My hair was bright purple in October in support of domestic violence. It's the first time I ever dyed all of my hair bright purple. And so I go walking into this office and here's this real conservative, prim and proper woman who's like one third of my height and size and build sits at a chair looking across from me and I could just see her going, Oh, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and they give me the opportunity to speak. And I, first thing I said to her, I was like, ma'am, please understand the purple hair is not normal. I'm as uncomfortable wearing the purple hair for 31 days as you are looking at it, but it represents what's near and dear to my heart and told her my story, showed her the rub, she tasted the rub, the arms came down, she relaxed, the shoulders relaxed, and she said, we want your rubs. And that's how it went. So Sassy is on the shelf, and Black Magic is soon to follow. So it's those, once again, it's those uh, those personal networks. Yes, sir. Personal networks, you know, people believing in you. Um, just You've got to have faith in yourself in order to put that faith forward and to put on that strong front for somebody to have faith in you to do what needs to be done. And, you know, moving here to Texas, I was able to put all the negativity behind me. And so my shoulders started standing upright, not hanging low, which changed my demeanor, which allowed me to be who I am and find myself again and fall in love with barbecue and, and allow people to help me because before I never would. So, you know, that old adage, change your playgrounds, change your habits. It's a big thing in everything in life. Yeah, that's some good advice. I love that. So your rubs, you they're advertised as low sodium, no MSG and gluten free. In a world where most people are going the other way for competition rubs, why are you heading this way? Well, mainly because I don't compete as much as I cater. Um, and when I cater, I do worry about catering to people who may have high blood pressure or, or diabetics or people who have to control their sodium content. Um, I used to cater for an individual who could only have a few grams of sodium a day. And so I had to develop a rub that I could use that was still full of flavor that people would, you know, say, oh, wow, her food is so good and why? And that's because I didn't need sodium to make the food good. I didn't need the MSG to make the food good. I can make it good without those. And so the health benefits fall in hand. Now, if I'm competing, yes, I will combine my rubs with like an SPG or a brisket magic from Chupacabra, you know, because I got to appeal to what the judges want. 
but for catering purposes and for people, um, you know, that go to the grocery store that want a barbecue rub, not packed with sodium, there's my niche. I've got a niche. And in the modern marketing world, everyone's talking about niches, so fantastic stuff. Yes, sir. So what's coming up in the future then? You've done so much in the last couple of years. Where are you going next? Well, I've got World Food Championships coming up again in October, and it's going to be in Dallas this year, so that's going to be fun and exciting. Um, I'm going to be with Janet Baker again, and we're going to be again the uh, Hearts of Texas, or yeah, the Hearts of Grilling Team. So we're looking forward to it. Hopefully this year we can pull out more than a top four in duck and a 14th in pork. Hopefully we can hit it in the steak. So that's the Hearts of Texas grilling team. Is that what you said? Yes, sir. I'll be keeping an eye on that. That's going to be awesome. We're going to have a fun time. We had a good time last year and it was uh, the World Food Championships is a very rare and unique competition, unlike any I've ever seen. And, man, if, if you had an opportunity to come to Dallas in October, Ben, boy, you would enjoy it. It is quite unique. I've never seen a food competition. Tell us about it. Well, you're going to take over 1,600 chefs and cooks from around the world world and they're going to compete to the top 10 in each category and they're going to be competing in a live kitchen arena and depending on the event they'll have anywhere from 90 minutes to two hours to cook prep and, and everything in this out arena and get things submitted to the judge and you've got particulars just like with barbecue on how things can be turned in you know you can't stack your food too high can't overhang the tray too far you know, there's just lots of particulars. And with each event, um, like in the chili competition, you have to incorporate, I believe, some Coop's mustard and some other ingredients, John Billy and um, Boy grilling sauce. So they challenge you. It's kind of like a chopped in a way where you are thrown ingredients, but yet you get to choose some of your own ingredients. And you're on a time crunch, and it's you and a couple of sous chefs working in a tiny, tiny area and you've got 40 or 50 kitchens going at once. It's crazy. It's insanity. Yeah, that sounds really intense. It is. Trust me. You would enjoy it. And then you've got the outside area where you've got your barbecuers and your steak competitors. The folks that are in the kitchen or arena are all the uh, fufu chefs, I would call you. <laughs> oh, okay. All your restaurant chefs, your fufu chefs. <laughs> So are the other barbecues then part of that same competition or is there two separate comps happening at the same time there? No, it's part of the same World Food Competitions. There'll be uh, top 10 in barbecue, top 10 in chili, top 10 seafood, top 10 burger, top 10 sandwich, and it goes on. And then the top 10 of each category goes on later in 2020 to compete for a $100,000 cash prize. And so the little, the top 10, you know, your your first place in each category competes. So if you got dessert competing against chefs and chili competing with dessert, so they're given dishes to create. And so that 10 gets whittled down to three and then one place for a hundred thousand dollars. So 1600 people down to one. Wow. That's wild. It's a lot of fun. 
Chris Adam from Primal Line, and you're listening to Swing Hot Confessions. If you want good barbecue, you need good charcoal. And when it comes to charcoal, the denser the wood, the better the charcoal. This is where Dragon's Breath Charcoal comes in. It's made from Australian native Gigi, famous for being the third most dense wood in the world, which means you're going to get 100% quality 100% of the time. The manufacturer of Dragon's Breath Charcoal was founded in 2005 and is the largest charcoal manufacturer in Queensland. A company founded in firm principles and values, the manufacturers of Dragon's Breath seek out opportunities to serve the community, starting with their work in the environmental restoration of Southwest Queensland sheep and cattle stations. Over the years, they've developed dietary charcoal products for livestock and horses and pets. And now there's garden and agricultural soil products that help keep moisture in the soil while it takes CO2 out of the atmosphere. Dragon's Breath Charcoal will be launching on Amazon in November, so stay tuned for more info soon. Kathy, at the moment in Australia in the barbecue scene, we're at a point where everybody wants to be sponsored and everybody wants to be a brand ambassador. Now, you're a brand ambassador for four different businesses, so I figured you'd be the perfect person to give us some advice on what it means to be a brand ambassador and how to get there. So could we kick things off with a bit of an explanation of the distinction between um, being a sponsored person and being a brand ambassador? Well, a sponsored individual is somebody who asks for help per event. So, you know, like when I was doing the hurricane relief, I would ask for sponsorship to help me just specifically for that event. So I would reach out to companies and individuals and in in turn, um, I would cook them a brisket or something in return for helping me out. Um, Or, you know, depending on the like when I went to World Food Championships last year, I asked for sponsorship to help pay my way to Alabama and lodging and so forth and all the expenses involved. In exchange for, you know, their sponsorship for me, I gave them, you know, uh, recognition on their logo, on my tablecloths, on my website for a year, and free TV mention when I talked about the event one time. Now, with a brand ambassador, I'm not looking for per-event money. I'm looking for, you know, representation for the entire time I'm going to be ambassadoring your company. Like with John Boy and Billy, they provide free sauce to me. All I have to do is say, hey, guys, ship me. Ship me sauce. And so whatever I need, they ship it to me. Pit Barrel Company, the way I ambassador with them is I receive commissions based on their product and they provide product to me to use on TV and for promotional giveaways for a lot of charity events. Uh, now my um, ambassadorship with House of Cattle Company and BNB Charcoal are both a paid ambassadorship. I am being paid monthly in return for providing them certain things. Monthly TV, you know, copies of the TV uh, spots monthly that I'm on when I mention BNB charcoal or use BNB charcoal and or use Hassle Cattle Company beef. Um, so many social media mentions a month. Those things are all typed up in a contract and then monthly I'm paid a fee based on how much they're receiving back. Interesting. So the big uh, sort of the, the big distinguishing point then would be cash. Correct. And the sponsorship one, you know, like I said, they're just helping you for specific events. 
Okay. They're helping you with the entry fee. They're helping you with, you know, buying anything you need for the event, things of that nature. But with a paid ambassadorship, you're actually getting a monthly stipend or income for, for that company by representing them along with product. Ah, it, very interesting. So what should people be looking for in a brand when they want to partner with someone? Oh, number one, they must like the brand. Um, I have been approached by a couple of charcoal companies and I don't like their charcoal nor their brand. So I'm not going to promote their brand. So it's important to feel comfortable with the brand that you're going to promote because if you, you know, we can all act, but you can tell when somebody's not really excited about something because you can just see the enthusiasm drop a little bit. Now, uh, when it comes to the John Boy and Billy sauce, their sauce is so unique and different from everything out here in Texas. And I've lived on the East Coast, so I like that vinegary barbecue sauce. So when I bring his barbecue sauce to Texas, I get excited about it because that's nothing out. There's not one like that out here. So people enjoy me bringing something to them that they're not used to, and they see I'm excited about it because it reminds me of my childhood, that old vinegary flavor and a barbecue sauce versus the tomato flavor I get here in Texas. And that's one reason I stopped working as much with Head Country. I still love Head Country, but I found a new love with John Boy and Billy's. Yeah, interesting how there's that there's that connection back to uh... – to visceral memories of, of childhood. It's funny how, how barbecue keeps looping back for many people in that way. No, oh, yeah. I mean, we can all remember going out camping with our parents or just going over to a friend's house for backyard barbecue and having burnt chicken and <laughs> burnt hot dogs. <laughs> I think that's when sauce was developed. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was a rule in my house growing up that if it wasn't black, then it wasn't uh, cooked right. Well, I know with turkey in my house, my mom still thinks turkey needs to get to 210 degrees. I keep telling her she's insane, so I do the turkeys. Yeah, yeah. turkey at 210 would be uh, quite uh, dry and tough, I'd imagine. It's very dry, and she puts lots of gravy on it. Again, <laughs> that's why sauce was invented. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, there you go, and, and, and there's that. Uh, <laughs> there's that again. So you just briefly talked about um, about John Boy and Billy's Grill and Sauce. What drew you to uh, B&B Charcoal, Pit Barrel, and Hassle Cattle Company? Well, with B&B and Pit Barrel, both Guadalupe Barbecue Company, Joey Machado, introduced me to both of those. And, you know, at first, when I, I was a Kingsford girl, I'd always use Kingsford. And Joey said, hey, give this a try. We were at um, a cook-off together, and he goes, just give it a try. And I lit it for the first time, and I wasn't really excited because it didn't smell like the Kingsford when I lit it. He goes, you've got to let it come to full gray, you know, turn that full gray color before that smell goes away. And I'm like, okay, whatever, whatever. He goes, trust me, you'll love it. It burns hotter. It burns longer. And after the second time I used it, I found out exactly what he meant because with Kingsford, I used to know, okay, 12 coals will get me a certain temperature. B and B, I only need to put six of those in there. because If I put 12 B and B's in there, I'm going to end up really hot. <laughs> so I fell in love in the fact that I could use less product and not have to stoke my fire as much. So, um, and then the versatility of the fact that 
you know, B&B has not only the oat briquettes, but they also have the lump charcoal. I don't use too much lump charcoal, but it's available. And then they have the logs, the pellets, and the chips. So they have everything I need. So it was a perfect fit for me to be able to go over to them because with Kingsford, I still have to go find my wood somewhere else. Right. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, Pit Barrel, why did you uh, go with Pit Barrel? Well, again, with Joey, you know, giving me the pit barrel, the first time I met Saffron, she came to help me with a barbecue cook-off, and Joey, one of the uh, tools he gave us was the pit barrel to use. And so the ease of the pit barrel, you know, I'm catering for 150-plus. She's trying to focus on my competition meets, working off of all borrowed equipment from everything from a Gorilla Grill to a Yoder to the pit barrel, the pit barrel we both fell in love with. Her and I were not a fan of the pellet grills. We both prefer the charcoal or the, you know, the live fire and live wood. So we both fell in love with that pit barrel that night. And I told Joey, this is going home with me. And that was um, three, four years ago. And then about two years ago, I started getting commissioned from them based on sales and promotions and what they, you know, get. That's so cool. So, how do they track those sales back to you? Um, we have a referral link. So when, you know, like on my site, it, it, you click on Pit Barrel, it goes right to a track that they show. It, it shows that I referred them. So we all individually have our own referral link to send them to Pit Barrel. Okay, so it's a form of affiliate marketing. Right. And there's a lot of times they know because I do so much media that people aren't necessarily always going to click on my link they know what they're getting in return. So it's not, you know, I don't have to sell so many pieces of, uh, I don't have to sell as, I don't have a quarter to meet, let's just say that. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then most recently you just signed with uh, Hassel Cattle Company. Hassel Cattle Company, I was found um, through social media with them. Uh, somebody introduced me to them and, you know, the individual that introduced me is a chef out of the New York area, and he has OMD Eek company with this two-foot-long Texas Wagyu beef hot dog, which he is got the copyright on, but the beef comes from Hassel Cattle Company. And so Chef had been watching me for quite a while on social media, and he just thought I would be a good fit for Hassel Cattle Company being locally here in Texas and getting them known more here and getting – He's ready to get his beef into restaurants. He's ready to do more than just, you know, low direct sales and farmer's market sales. So that's kind of how that came to be. I met, drove out to Rusk, Rusk, Texas last month and met with him. And he's like, yeah, let's do something. So here we are. And within 45, not even 45 days, within the first 15 days, I had him already affiliated with the World Food Championship, signed agreement to be a major sponsor and supply the beef and getting him in front of 1,600 chefs all at once. Wow. Nice work. So, you know, he hired me because of the contacts I know. And like you said, you know, it's all about connections and those handshakes and just putting yourself out there. Yeah. So when the listeners have found a brand that they like, how should they make their first approach? Um, going direct to the source is really the easiest way. You know, finding out who is in charge of the marketing for that company and going straight to them 
you have to show them your value and your worth, what you can provide them for the services, you know, show them your followers. You know, in my case, it's my long media history with, you know, the food network and the fact that I do get called, um, at least once a year in for possibly doing a show. I was up for a show this year, but I had to pull out of it due to weather. Um, so it's just, you have to show your value. You have to prove your value and find the right person to talk to. You can get the runaround by talking to the wrong person, you know, so that's very important. Find out who's in charge of the marketing department. Interesting. So again, you'd, you'd reach out to your network to get that information. Yep. It's funny just how often this is sort of looping back to that, uh, to that one central point. Yes, sir. And so then once they've made that, that agreement and the business is interested, what should they be looking for in an agreement? You want something that's going to benefit both parties, not to be all one-sided. You know, just like in my contract negotiations with B&B, they were putting a limit on the amount of charcoal reimbursement they were going to give me. And it was a ridiculous amount, low amount. And I'm like, guys, that's going to last one barbecue cook-off if I'm buying all wood product. So you've got to make sure you're reading the agreement, make sure it benefits both parties, and don't be afraid to ask for what you want. You know, people know you hear a lot, but if you don't ask, you're not going to hear the yes. Yeah. Yep. If you don't ask, you don't get. That's correct. So it sounds like they need to have a pretty good, um, a pretty good understanding of their value to the company as well. You do. You have to. I mean, value is what they're looking for because, you know, they've already got, they're spending mass dollars on marketing. You have to show them why you're going to be able to do more than their mass dollars they're already putting out. What can you bring to the table? Excellent. So given that it's contracts and agreements and things like that, should, should lawyers get involved or can it all be done on a handshake? It all depends on the company, um, Pit Barrel, uh, John Boy and Billy and Hassel Company. I'm pretty much on a handshake. Um, you know, I typed out for Hassel Cattle Company what I would provide for him just so he would, could have it. Um, and nobody signed anything. Now with B&B, because they are a large corporation that are run by an outside marketing company, I did need to sign an agreement with them and it just it's a pretty simple and straightforward agreement just so that I know what they want to see and vice versa, what I expect from them. Okay. Interesting. So it'll be a case by case basis then. Yeah, it really does. You know, a lot of companies you can get away with a handshake, but you know, some, sometimes you can't, you know, you get outside marketing companies involved and sometimes it's not, the individual that you talk to at the company that fell in love with you, it's this outside person who has no clue who you are. Oh, that's got to be tough. So, yeah, it, it, it can be. So at the top of this segment, you were talking about how um, a brand ambassadorship is an agreement over time. How do you handle, I mean, all, like all relationships have, have ups and downs. How do you handle if you have a disagreement with the, uh, with the brand? Well, basically, hopefully you can, you know, both parties are mature enough to talk it out and find out what was wrong. And a lot of times on live TV, you don't, you know, you're sitting there and you're saying and you're saying and you're saying and, oh, time ran out and I forgot to mention 
B&B charcoal three times or whatever the case may be. So you just have to be able to talk it out so that that party understands, you know, some things are out of our control, but like with TV, I'm wearing their logos. So it doesn't matter if I say it one time, my logo is there front and center. I don't have to say it at all because it's there the whole segment. Um, so you just have to go to them and, you know, be honest and say, sorry, you didn't like what happened. How can I, you know, improve on it next time? It's going to be a growing experience for both parties if they don't already have a knowledge of who you are and how you work. So it all comes down to communication and keeping those lines of communication open. That's, you know, isn't that the true thing to life, period, is communication? <laughs> it is. It is, definitely. So once you reach the end of that um, of that time period and it's it's time for re- for renegotiation, how would you approach that? I have not reached that point yet, so we'll see how that goes. I just started going into um, the full ambassadorship program, you know, you know, with different companies and recognizing it as ambassadorship within the last year or so. Um, you know, as far as B and B and Hassel, since they are paid. That's just now recently started. And basically we state in the agreement, you know, with B&B and with Hassel, I told them at any point in time, we feel this isn't working for one another. Just say so and we'll let it go. You know, we're not saying, okay, you got to give us 60 days or anything like that at this point. Sure, sure. So do you keep a personal record of, you know, each each interview you do where you mention this brand and all that sort of stuff so you can tally it all up at the end? Not really. I mean, because I get a copy of the TV segment, so I see it on there. And, um, you know, mainly it's on social media. I got to remember to go in there and type it in. (laughs) (laughs) And then and then make sure you tag the uh, tag the brands in it as well so they can see that you've done it. Yeah, because a lot of times I do live videos and then I just hit post right away. And then I go back and edit. I got to remember to go back and edit all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it it gets a bit tricky with the with all the different steps involved there. Yeah. So what would be your th- uh, top three tips for people looking to become brand ambassadors? Number one, know your value. Number two, be confident. Number three, ask. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com. And let's have a conversation. If you're looking for your next barbecue smoker or grill, Jagged Woodfire has got what you need. Owners Julianne and Glenn are multiple award-winning barbecue competitors who've even traveled to the US to compete at the World Barbecue Championships in Houston, Texas. Based out of Perth and shipping nationwide, Jagged is one of the largest pit builders in the country and has an ever-growing lineup of meat cooking machinery. Not only do they have their now famous smoker ovens, they are also producing incredibly efficient gravity-fed cabinet smokers and some of the most stylish asado grills you're ever going to see. Jagged is also well known for amazingly detailed custom work, ranging from backyard designs all the way to installations in commercial kitchens. Proudly Australian designed, owned and manufactured, you can find out more at jaggedwoodfired.com.au, spelled J-A-G-R-D. Once again, head to jaggedwoodfired.com.au, spelled J-A-G-R-D, to learn more. 
Alrighty, Kathy, it's time for our lightning round now. So I got ten quick questions here, and you're going to throw ten quick answers back at me. How does that sound? Sounds great, Ben. All right, let's hit it. So, favorite cut of steak? Ten C strip. Direct grilling or reverse sear? Direct grilling. Lighter fluid, yay or nay? Nay. <laughs> As Aussies, should we be cooking in Celsius or Fahrenheit? If you're dealing with Americans, Fahrenheit. Who's been the biggest influence in your barbecue journey? Diva Q. Money muscle, fantastic or overrated? Fantastic. Oh, interesting. What's been your proudest moment in barbecue? Being selected for Guy's Grocery Games. Oh, yeah, I'd imagine so. What is one tip or trick you wish you'd known sooner? Chimney starters. Oh, yeah, game changer for me too. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> the, the future, what do you think is going to be the next trend in barbecue? Turkey. Nice. And if there was a fantasy barbecue league, who would you choose for your team? DVQ, Cervantes, Carl Lewis, Tuffy Stone, and let's throw one more person in there. Uh, I'm going to say Ty Machado. Ooh, yeah, that, that kid's going to do big things. He's kicking butt in the uh, steak cooking at the moment from what I can see. Yeah, well, Ty's a very uh, unique kid. He knows his flavors, he knows his profiles, and he's got a good, strong teacher and a father. He does, he does. Look, Kathy, that's a wrap for the uh, for this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. So I'm going to turn the studio over to you now. So give some shout-outs to whomever you'd like and tell the listeners where they can track you down on the internet. Well, I appreciate all you guys listening in uh, to Ben and I talk about barbecue and what drives me and what makes me uh, want to do the cue that I do. And you can find me at PullinPremiumBBQ.com on Facebook, Kathy Pullen, or at PullinBBQ. And I'd love to hear from you. You know, one thing that I like to do is help people figure out why certain things aren't going the way they expect. Maybe you just aren't, you know, don't have your dampers correct, you know, uh, open the right way or you flew aimed away from the wind, whatever it needs. Sometimes there's just small tricks that can help you cue just like a professional. And I'll be more than happy to talk to you about it. That's fantastic. So, look, once again, I'm going to say thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be part of the show. And best of luck with all your new ventures in 2019. Thank you, and I look forward to seeing you again, Ben. And there you have it, family, the inside track on what it means to be a brand ambassador and how to become one from one of the best in the business, Kathy Pullen. Much thanks and appreciation go out to Kathy for joining me in the confessional for this awesome episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. Before I let you go, I want to remind you about our killer merch lineup, the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook, and if you have a minute, it'd really help me out if you could subscribe, rate, and review the show. The ratings and reviews trigger the algorithms and make Apple distribute the podcast further and wider, so they are really important and very much appreciated. And that's the end of the show. Till next time, take care of each other and keep on curing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.